KBTC, a viewer-supported community service of Bates Technical College. From KBTC Public Television Studios in Tacoma, Washington, it's the Northwest Now podcast. Each week we take a closer look at the people and issues that affect all of us here in Western Washington. So sit back, relax, and join the conversation with your host, Tom Lason. Another legislative session ends with priorities now quickly shifting to November as the entire state house and about half of the Senate come up for election. Tonight, House Minority Leader J.T. Wilcox joins us to talk about the just completed legislative session and his perspective on the Washington State Republican Party going forward. That's next on Northwest Now. Republicans are outnumbered in the House 57 to 41 and hold no statewide cabinet offices now that former Secretary of State Kim Wyman left to work in the Biden administration. The GOP is firmly planted as the minority party in Washington state with some analysts saying it's likely to stay that way at least until Donald Trump is fully renounced and a slate of credible candidates for statewide offices can be cobbled together. So it's in that environment that House Minority Leader J.T. Wilcox leads the opposition. Wilcox is a widely regarded moderate in state politics, represents the 2nd Legislative District, and is a member of the Wilcox Family Farms Empire based in South Pierce County near Hearts Lake between Yelm and Eatonville. J.T. Wilcox, thanks so much for coming to Northwest Now. My first question is, is a bit of a softball, but I want to give you a good crack at this. What is the basic critique of Northwest progressivism? What's the problem with how state, run, state politics and the state house and state budgets have been run in, in a one-party dominating system? Well, uh, I've never been asked that before, so thanks for the question. Uh, I, I may hit a, a few different things here because, uh, you know, I do often talk about the fact that single-party government is bad regardless of which party is in charge for very, very long terms. Uh, and of course, in our state, it's been the Democratic Party, and you know, I don't know that they've been progressive the whole time. So it might be two different problems. But uh, you know, first of all, you know, what I think we're seeing now, more so even than four or five years ago, is the idea that uh, problem solving isn't uh, the role of the legislature; it's uh, implementing an ideology, and that to me is a, a problem. I, I think. Uh, everybody has their ideology. It's important to have a framework for your ideas, but the more you expand your ideology into, the less room you have for common sense and for uh, understanding across broad groups of people. So I would say what we saw over the last couple of years, especially in uh, the arena of uh, public safety, was just this speculative ideology uh, that uh, meant that uh, you know the party in power couldn't listen to Republicans, couldn't listen to uh, people that are experienced in law enforcement, and couldn't even consult their own common sense. And the result, I think, has been a tragic disaster for many people. And then, you know, since you mentioned the fact that we've had this for a long, long time, single party government, I'll just say that I think the, the defect in the direction that we've gone in Washington is that single party government in the end corrupts everybody. Uh, it's obvious that if you're part of the single party government it, it can be corrupting. Not, I think the system gets corrupted. I, I don't mean to impugn uh, a lot of individuals but it really means that there's never very sufficient uh, oversight. 
it means that your own side uh, really never does a thorough job of keeping people accountable. And that's a bad, bad thing uh, in the long run because it makes people lazy. When you're on the side that's out of power, I, I think it corrupts a little bit too because you lose track of the fact that what you say might have to be implemented someday. And I think that makes you less responsible. The best system is one where everybody involved thinks I could either be in the majority or I could be in the minority someday and I better conduct myself with understanding of both sides. So power unchecked and sitting on the sidelines being a grenade thrower isn't a solution. You couldn't be more right. And right. It sounds like common sense. It, it, it sure does, doesn't it? Um, has the progressive ideology been too expensive? Um, Increased spending by $5 billion in mid-biennium. That that's a record um, with a state budget now of $64 billion. Think that's sustainable? Oh, absolutely not. And uh, as I've said many times, the people that will be hurt uh, by you know, this unrestrained spending are the people that they're trying to help. Uh, what, what happens, and I've been through one of these cycles now in 12 years in the legislature, what happens when you, you, you know, sort of set all of this in train, you create new programs, you create new dependencies, uh, the first time you have a budget hiccup, you have to dial all that back. So first of all, all of the, the setup money uh, is expended, and second of all, people that just began to get comfortable with the benefits of a program end up being, uh, you know, left behind. And I am 100% sure that that's going to happen. And I think the other thing that was really disappointing this last time is we'd never seen this kind of uh, budget revenue increase. Uh, and you would have liked to think that, uh, you know, reasonable people could have agreed this isn't going to happen again. Uh, let's, uh, you know, forego at least some part of it, but every penny was spent. And that just proves to me that there is no amount of money that is sufficient. Let's talk a little bit about tax relief. Um, there was a proposal to exempt the first $250,000 of um, home value. That died. With that said, and I've said this for a while, do you have a sneaking suspicion or do you think it opens the door for the possibility of a Prop 13 type style um, property reform movement coming to Washington State? Property tax reform. Oh, I think that's absolutely likely to happen. Our uh, our initiative system is not the easiest to navigate and uh, initiatives are, are hard to do now because the cost of getting uh, sufficient signatures has gotten really high. Uh, but uh, you know, when every single family is being affected by this you know, overly aggressive desire for funding, uh, I think that would be very, very popular. And it's not, it's not operating on the state budget with a scalpel. It's uh, operating with a big club, uh, and that isn't what the legislature should want. The legislature should be able to do this themselves and go through uh, a process where there's lots of scrutiny. But if the legislature isn't willing to do that, of course, people are going to take that into their own hands. The big bogeyman out there for... <clears throat> Republicans running for office for years has been the threat of an income tax. The Democrats are going to get an income tax. Do you believe that in the context of your comment that there's never enough money? Yeah. Do you think that that's real and do you think it's possible? Uh, yes to both. Uh, there's been a lot of um, public record requests that have um, resulted in legislators' uh, emails being exposed. 
where uh, they're very open in saying, well, you know, we're going to run the best uh, tax that we can for a court case. And, uh, you know, a reasonable person would say, okay, once you have gotten through the court test, then we're going to expand this. And I, I don't see how anyone can observe the history of taxation in Washington and not agree that if the tax is once found to be legal, it will get expanded. And voters have spoken on this, and the court has spoken on this repeatedly. Um, mm -hmm. So, but you don't see that effort um, waning, abating in any way. It's no. And the crazy thing is, uh, you know, when it came to revenue, I, I would say progressives, Democrats, uh, people that were. Uh, left of center, in general thought about first, what do I want to do with the resources? What need do I want to satisfy? But what has felt uh, more true to me over the last few years is the ideology has centered around, I just want more money. Uh, we just want to, we, we, there's some people that shouldn't be um, able to accumulate these resources, so we want the money and then we'll figure out what to do with it. So an aggressive redistribution, more aggressive redistribution. That, I think, is very plain. You mentioned um, a little bit about the public safety piece before, and I wanted to talk about that in this session, too. There were many calls to, to walk back some of the reforms that, um, that had been made in the past session. A few of those things did pass, but um, um, several of them didn't. What is your analysis of the crime situation as it stands now? Whose feet does that land on? Well, clearly we're in the middle of a crime wave, uh, and it, it's not just in Washington, it's nationwide. Uh, I think we've got some huge societal problems, but one thing that made it particularly bad here in Washington was uh, something that was pitched as public safety reform that made it a lot more difficult for police to do their jobs. And, what I've been saying now for about 15 months is that our, our real goal should be to preserve the tools that are necessary to keep people safe and at the same time do everything possible to make it less likely uh, for those to be misused. And I think what really happened was we're unhappy with the results. Um, our ideology says that we need to pursue non-police, non uh, punitive methodologies and so we're just going to take these tools away from the police and so that's what happened a year ago and I, I've really never seen anything turn around so quickly in politics before it became apparent almost immediately that that was a mistake uh, and unfortunately in the course of that becoming apparent a, a, a number of people lost their lives and uh, you're right, some of that was turned around during this session. One really major part failed uh, on the last day to pass the Senate, even though the Senate Republicans uh, made many parliamentary efforts to bring it to the floor. And that was uh, a bill that would have restored the ability of police to give chase in vehicles. And everybody understands that that can be dangerous, but if the police in most cases can't give chase, uh, then everybody with bad intentions just behaves with impunity. And this is what has happened, uh, a, a cascade of events. First of all, I think in, in society terms, the worst people have decided that the best people are going to be ineffective. And so you don't have to worry about being caught and you don't have to worry about consequences. Next, I think in a, a total overreaction to COVID, 
many of the jails and prisons were nearly emptied and it became almost impossible to incarcerate people. And so of course they had a sense of impunity and who pays the price? Uh, not, not the bad actors, the, the innocent victims. Are there certain ideologies that see the criminals as the victims? Well, I, I think you hear that a lot. Uh, since I'm not really someone who participates in that ideology, uh, you should probably talk to one of them about the details, but that seems very plain. And what's interesting is we had a you know democratic proposal in the legislature this year to reduce crimes, re reduce consequences for crimes like drive-by shootings, and we just arrested four kids on I-5 for that. So is there a connection there, or is that just coincidence? No, I think there's absolutely uh, a connection. How can you not live through the... How can you live through the last few years and not believe that those things are connected? And there's one other part of this that it's critical that we recognize. And uh, I mentioned innocent victims. Uh, among the victims are so many law enforcement professionals. Three died within uh, seven or 10 days uh, here in central Puget Sound. Uh, two of them on duty, one of them in some crazy sounding incident in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, there's this caricature of law enforcement as bad. And if you've gone to as many funerals as I have in my 12 years, um, you realize that so many people in law enforcement are young, so many of them served our country, uh, so many of them you know, are just so clearly the most contributing members of our society, and they're the ones that are the victim of this. And people don't understand the numbers either. They don't understand the number of contacts and calls against the number of incidents that do go south. I mean, you can't deny that there has been some, some, some bad actions, some bad actors out there. But as a percentage, um, when you take a look at those numbers, I think that's where it's really illuminating. Yeah, you know, I don't get uh, very, uh, I don't know, emotional in politics. I try not to do that. Uh, but I had an incident last year where I just felt like I, I had to speak out. We were passing one of the major uh, police public safety reforms. I, I do this because I don't think that they were positive reforms at all. And uh, there was a lot of energy around reading the names of people that had been victims in police encounters. And um, f for the ones where the police misbehaved, uh, I, I think it's right to recognize the victims, sure. although you know, those names have been said hundreds of thousands or millions of times now. Uh, but we knew that this was going to be more dangerous for police. And although I, I was not prepared for this and I didn't have all the names, I went through all the funerals that I had, as many as I could in three minutes, that I've gone to in my 12 years in the legislature because those are the people that get forgotten so often. And uh, if we're going to have motivated people to take care of all of us, we have to recognize their sacrifice and their, you know, their essential, uh, you know, sense that they want to be a force of good for humanity. Yeah. You look at some things like the economy, what's going on with inflation, what's going on with crime, and, you know, the table certainly looks set for 2022, both nationally and at the state level, for um, a bit of a Republican comeback, possibly. With that said, um, you've got Trumpism and that ideology um, on the right that, that isn't helping the Republicans' cause either. And I'll just use one example here. The 
Republicans' last gubernatorial candidate, mind you, Lauren Culp, um, promoting violence as a solution to politics, prompting Seattle Times columnist uh, Danny Westneat to write this. I suspect the only way to prevent violent words from party actors like this from eventually spilling over into actual violence is for Republicans themselves to finally take a damn stand against this virus in their own party. Where is the state party on this, or GOP elected officials or leadership, or county party organizations? You all okay that one of your Trump-backed candidates is out there publicly calling for lynching and for executing court officials? Answer Danny, are you? Yeah. Well, um, I've got to be a little careful here because we were setting this up using uh, legislative resources. So I, I can't talk about elections, but I can certainly talk about this. And uh, uh, I don't follow uh, Chief Culp, so I didn't hear about that until uh, Danny Westneat's column, which somebody uh, sent to me. And uh, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not okay with that kind of behavior. However, I, I don't follow um, Chief Culp, as I said, or, or every Republican out there. And people know that I have uh, you know, very deliberately not gotten involved in politics that are outside my sphere of action, which is the legislature in Washington. Uh, but I, I have zero hesitancy in saying, no, it's not responsible to talk about lynching. It's not responsible to talk about uh, vigilante action. Those are negatives. And I actually heard John Carlson talk to Jeff Poljula about this uh, over the weekend, maybe. Uh, and one of the things that John said really has resonance for me, uh, and I appreciate him saying that. When you run for office, you should try to uplift your office, uh, not, not try to drag it down. And that's one of the things that I think I try to talk to uh, our candidates uh, about. You can get attention by being outrageous. It's probably not a real successful way to get elected. And if you want to serve in a body like the Washington State House of Representatives, you should want it to be the best possible place that it can be, and you don't get there by tearing it down. And I think a lot of people give you credit for the quiet role you played in dealing with Manweiler and and uh, and Shea um, and some of those issues. And and I think you're well known as a centrist in the Washington State Legislature as a, a coalition builder. Um, with that said, though, um, because people are always getting primaried, what's it going to take to get the Republican Party competitive again? And is that possible? Well, I think uh, this is a year when it's very possible. Uh, when you look at many of the national uh, trends, and uh, I'm involved in quite a bit of Washington state polling, you see uh, a situation that we haven't seen since 1994. Uh, when you compare even the, the Obama waves that uh, uh, helped us pick up a, a bunch of seats, uh, the national approval numbers for a Democratic president and Democrats in general uh, are far lower now uh, than yep. they were then. And I would also say uh, I've never seen a, a situation inside of Washington where there was a, a record on the part of any political party of voting for things that are so clearly um, unwise and unpopular uh, in the state of Washington among conservatives, uh, centrists, and even plenty of moderate Democrats. I think um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit, of, have you talk a little bit about um, the nature of the discourse that we're currently experiencing 
and whether there's a room for moderates anymore. Is there room for centrists? Is there room for people who are a little progressive? They're Democrats, but they know what to do. There's people who are on the right or a little, you know, maybe um, around here in the Northwest, uh, socially uh, more progressive, but fiscally conservative. That used to be who was in politics. That used to be the deal in the legislature. We see this happening going out to the ends in primaries and across the country and the state of Washington as well, I think. Um, what's your take on that and what is it gonna take to get us more to the middle? Well, I believe that uh, history and politics are cyclical more than they're linear. And so the trend of the last few years is not necessarily the trend of the future. And uh, I, I've been involved in uh, House Republican elections for 12 years now. Uh, and uh, one thing that always makes me feel good is, I, I think when times feel really tough, that's when it's, it's a lot, uh, a lot of conservatives step up uh, to run. And, and when I say conservatives, I, you know, I, I guess I'm painting with a pretty broad brush. That can be, you know, from the far right to people that are very uh, centrist. And I'm, I'm seeing more people that have a stake in the economy stepping up because they feel a responsibility to do that. And, uh, you know, I quit watching national TV when I was elected 12 years ago <laughs> because I thought I, I just can't have all that turmoil in my head. I want to concentrate on things that are here. And uh, one of the things that I've tried to do in my time, uh, others can judge whether I've been good at it, is uh, I, I never want to be predictable and I never want to look like uh, the kind of politician that is trying to get on TV. I, I want to be myself and I always tell uh, candidates that uh, in, unless you're just a creep, uh, being yourself is the most successful way to be a good politician. First, it makes you honest and second of all, the thing that money can't buy is um, you know, being genuine. And maybe not to be an ideologue which you mentioned at the top of this interview. You know, um, that you, you should have some, some ideas that ground you and some mm -hmm. values that ground you, but if, if you apply that lens to every problem, uh, you're not gonna think about them and you're probably not gonna solve them. Talk a little bit of a couple of personal things. You have uh, the big salmon bake uh, down at the farm every year. Talk for folks who aren't tied into Washington state politics, what, is, what do you do and what is that like every year? Well, um, I wanted to do something that's unique, uh, and I live on the Nisqually River. Uh, we have a couple miles, I think, of various kinds of waterfront on the farm, and uh, we've got a generational friendship with the Nisqually tribe. And so what would fit better than uh, buying salmon from the Nisqualys, uh, cooking it up and serving it with friends? and uh, we're fortunate to have some facilities that let us fit a lot of people in it. They're not fancy. Uh, the, the basic one is a chicken house that was built in the 1950s. Uh, but it's, it's been a successful thing, and uh, we try to make it the old-fashioned fun kind of politics uh, where it's mostly getting to know your neighbors. Uh, a lot of, of other politicians uh, stop in. I've, I've had elected Democrats that bought their own tickets. I've had, a f I've had one in particular that had his sister buy his tickets so he wouldn't be on my uh, On the PC. record. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't want it to be smash mouth. We, we want it to uh, be the kind of thing where neighbors aren't embarrassed. 
Yeah, good. Um, since you talked about the Nisqually, um, I want to bring up the idea a little bit about conservatism and conservation, how they can go together, and also talk a little bit about the bridge over I-5. Is that going to happen, uh, modifying that um, to allow the, the, the title action to be a little more effective there? Well, I think there's a couple of things going on with that bridge. First of all, it is threatened, and uh, it's hard to imagine a more important link for Washington than that one way that you can get a lot of cars and trucks over the Nisqually River. The only other way is uh, a uh, you know two-lane bridge, one lane on, on, in each direction in McKenna, and it destroys McKenna's ability to move it around, or Yelm, uh, when you have traffic problems on uh, I-5 there. So if that blows out, uh, the economy of Washington is in serious, serious trouble. Uh, so that's, that's a reason. Uh, another reason is if we can lift that up, we have a much more effective delta and uh, that's critical for salmon recovery in South Puget Sound. And, um, you know, the Nisqually is a unique river. It's a fairly long river. It's one of the larger rivers that, that feeds into Puget Sound. And it's the one that is uh, among the least developed uh, major rivers in western Washington because of the circumstances with the tribe, Billy Frank, uh, a small handful of farmers, and a lot of timber owners, it was never destroyed. It was damaged a few times, but it's in much better shape than a lot of other habitat around the state. So this is a, a great example of a place where we can have some success. And uh, I'll just tell you a quick story since you asked about conservation. Uh, I'm, I'm part of a family that has been in the same place for about 112 or 13 years now. Uh, which is, uh, you know, just a, a, a blink of an eye compared to my friends, the Nisqually Indians, but is long for uh, a family that came here uh, into Washington. And uh, my dad had a moment with Billy Frank about 15 years ago, well, it was more than that, probably 25, uh, where we thought that we were going to lose the farm because of a, a national park. And Billy stood up uh, and said, doggone it, we got to quit all this arguing. Uh, there's no way we're going to save the Nisqually without the farmers, without uh, the foresters. They're going to be here, and I'm going to stand up for them too. And they shook hands, and it changed everything for us. Great story. J.T. Wilcox, thanks for coming to Northwest Now. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Business as usual will not work for the Republicans in November, nor in 2024. The bottom line, can moderates take control of the party to a sufficient degree to at least get credible candidates through a primary? For now, it seems the answer is no. But just maybe, lawmakers like J.T. Wilcox on both sides of the aisle will eventually prevail. I hope this program got you thinking and talking. To watch this program again or to share it with others, Northwest Now can be found on the web at kbtc.org. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Northwest Now. Thanks for taking a closer look on this edition of Northwest Now. Until next time, I'm Tom Layson. Thanks for watching.